Yesterday, actually Friday, I had one of the best days that I can have in the spring. Um, I power washed our garage. Does anybody love the satisfaction of power washing your house, your garage, whatever it is? I started on the outside walls of our house, then I emptied out the garage, I sprayed off the mowers and all that. I'm just blasting mud and dirt away, garage floor, I mean, it's clean. I looked over, the cat looked dirty. It's the cleanest cat in the county right now has no hair on it whatsoever, but it's the cleanest cat you can imagine. It was so satisfying, and an hour project turned into a four-hour project. And I, I got to thinking about what I was saying, speaking about today, and I was thinking about how much you can get done when you're really focused on something. And you're really intentional. You say, this is what I'm going to do, and I'm going to lean in to this one thing. And that was power washing on Friday. But for our church, for 14 and a half years... You all, and some of you are new you alls, and some of you have been around for a long time you alls, but you all have decided to be focused on Jesus and leading people to Jesus and growing in our relationship with them. And we've all kind of got swept up in this. And some of you have worked so hard to make sure people knowing Jesus in our community has been priority one. And some of you could tell your story. Because you would say, someone invited me and I I was not a church person. I didn't quite get the whole concept and I didn't really know if God liked me or not. And I came and I came back and I was greeted. My kids loved whatever environment they were in. And then one day it just dawned on me. God loves me and I can trust God with my life. And for some of you, you tell the story of tears running down your face. Even if you're a big man like me and you're trying to hide it, God did something. You had your aha moment. And then even better, you invited someone else. And you sat next to somebody you care about and they had their aha moment. And you were like, this is the most satisfying thing in my life. And for 14 and a half years, we've got to see that happen over and over and over. And I'm so proud of the church that I get to be a part of, much less lead as the lead pastor. But as I've told many of you for years, the thing that concerns me the most as we keep marching forward and now we have a big building and lots of people and we're hopefully on the other side of this pandemic thing that for all of us for every church the gravitational pull for every church is to become a church just for church people and that may sound strange to you because you may think isn't church just for church people and that is the pull of it but listen we have gotten to see extraordinary things as we decided not just to be about the people who are already here and you know what church people are because I am a church person church people are the people that know where to sit and know where to park and know where to put their kids and they got their own group of friends and they walk in and everything is familiar and we have a tendency to forget about people that have never been here before much less people that have not experience God's love. And just so you know, if you walked in for the first time this week or last week or the week before, I hope more than anything else, you get to experience the goodness and the love of our heavenly Father. And the way we've done this is we've reached people and we've grown together. We've reached people and we've all grown together. And it has made us deep in our faith. And when people ask me, Matt, why are you so adamant in how we go and what direction we take as a church. It's because I have been so personally affected by God you know, rescuing me at a certain point in my life, which I'm about to tell you, so hang on for a little bit of emotion and an emotional morning, and I've seen it in other people. And it's why we open with the songs we open sometimes, and I get questioned and we get criticized on Facebook because every once in a while, well, a lot of the time we open with secular openers, but I got friends that come to church here And they don't understand a lot of what we do, but they'll get that secular opener and they'll go, you know what, I could listen to the rest of the service and I feel comfortable in here. 
It's why I'm always on our communicators, including myself, not to open up with the service by saying, you know, God is good all the time. God is good. I believe God is good. But when a visitor comes into this place and something that's new to this environment, they hear that. They're like, what are, how do these people know all this stuff, right? Or have you been around a pastor and he just goes, amen, 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 amen. Well, what? Let the world go on. We just try and get all that out of the way. And so when people criticize me, and I say this is a joke, but I'm kind of serious, or they criticize the reason what we do as a church, I always like, hey, send me an email. Send me an email, because I want to hear your complaints, but make sure you send it to the right, right email. Send it to matt at idontgiverip.net. That would be great. That would be great, and that'll go into a special file folder, because we're just not going to cater to the people that we're supposed to know better. But we want to be passionate about what God is doing in our world. And I want us to never lose sight of what God did amongst us. And one of the reasons we know what we're supposed to do is by one of the people that brought us the New Testament, or much of the New Testament. His name was Paul. You might know him as the Apostle Paul, also known as Saul, had a lot of names. And if you have ever been frustrated with Christians, in fact, if you would say, listen, I hate Christians, you would love the Apostle Paul because once upon a time he hated Christians too and he tried to get them all killed and then he became one. And then he started churches all over the Mediterranean Rim and he's the reason, you know, on the human side we have church today, literally. And he writes something that I hang on to, I mean like close to my heart when I think about where we're going as a church and what matters most to us. And so I just wanna give you a little bit of an insight to why we think the way we do and who we are as a church. Whether you're a visitor, you've been here for 14 and a half years. The Apostle Paul says this, I love this. He says, for Christ, love compels us. Let's just make sure we understand something for all of us, including me. It's not judgment that compels us. It's not fear that compels us. It's not even hell that compels us, although we believe all those things exist. In fact, our next series in June, we're going to talk about heaven and hell and everything in between, so you should come back in June. It's going to be a great series, but that's not what compels us. The Apostle Paul, who knew this better than any of us, said it's Christ's love compels us. And this word compel in the original language, it's so interesting because it can mean a lot of different angles of things. It can mean it guides It can mean it guards. It can also mean that it focuses us. If you ever wonder why we invest so much in kids' environments, because we know when a child encounters God and they can trust God with their lives, the trajectory of their life is different. And a couple times, not too many times, but a couple times, uh, people have asked, well, why don't you make this place fancier with more stained glass and more beautiful things? And that'd be great. But we've decided to focus our attention on kids' environments And for people that come in that they connect in a way that they can connect, that matters to us because our mission, it focuses us. It motivates us. It's why we do what we do. And most of all, it unifies us. You know, you saw that baptism of that young gal today. And in the next service, there'll be another baptism. And we see that. It's like, this is what we're about. This is why I have chosen not to make our stage political. As much as you, some of you, not all of you, maybe two of you, would love to say, hear me say, hey, we're going to back this party or that party. Listen, we're not going to be political because we want to be about Jesus above all things. And here's what you need to know. Jesus requires so much of us. He literally will look at us in the eye and go, I want you to give up everything and follow me. But it's only after we have been compelled by his love. Because when we are compelled by Jesus' love, everything changes and that's when we started this church we decided let's compel people by the love of God because it's what changes people 
and let it change us and the rest of our community. He, Paul, Paul goes on, he says, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced, I love that word, we're convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. It's just Paul's fancy way of saying we're all as good as dead until the Savior of the world gave his life for you and me. He goes on, and he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. The conclusion of this is, if you're a Jesus follower, and if you're not, you just gotta decide you wanna be a Jesus follower. But for us Jesus followers, we don't live for ourselves anymore. We're living for a bigger kingdom and a bigger purpose and a savior of the universe who deserves our lives. Now I have to tell you, and as, as I've had conversations with other pastors across our country, and we've seen it just a little bit here, although I think you guys have done this so well overall, the season of COVID that we've come through has made us all just a little bit more self-focused. Would you agree with that? We've all, when it comes to our businesses, our leisure time, and our church, there's just been a little bit more of self-focus. Like, I want what's for me, and I want to be fed, and I want to get what I have. And it's been easy not to think about the people that don't know this God that's amazing. And for years, you guys have been amazing at that. And I just want to remind you that we're called to give it all up for the one who gave all for us. Paul goes on, he says, all this... Is from God who reconciled us, and I love that word, us to himself, through Christ, and he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. You, you know what the word reconciled means? It simply means when two things that are not compatible agree with each other. In spiritual terms, it'd be this. I'm a sinful man. I say this all the time. The, God, or the guy that stands up on this stage is as broken and as sinful as anybody on the planet. I am a sinful man. And God is a perfect, holy God. But those two things have been reconciled. They agree with each other because what Christ has done for me and in me. In no other way. I am not reconciled with God because I'm a good person or I'm a pastor. I have great kids, which I do. I've been reconciled because of Jesus. And that's all good on paper, right? If you grew up in church, you would say, yeah, I heard that my whole life. I've been reconciled, forgiven, put back in place with God. And I've had that in my head since I was just a little boy because I you know, became a follower of Jesus. I believed in Jesus when I was a young, young kid. But I've had some things along the way that have convinced me of that reconciliation. I thought I would just share that with you today. So when I was about 28 years old, um, Tina and I had been married for several years. We had two beautiful little boys. They were young, under three and under one years old. And you may not believe this, but I was on a path to be that ideal evangelical pastor. Beautiful kids. We're going to teach people to love God more. We're going to help the Christians become better Christians. That was the goal. Let's, let's help the Christians become better Christians. I was going to seminary degree, and I was on the path. I, I, if you know this name, you may not. I wanted to be the next Chuck Swindoll, and I love Chuck Swindoll. But that was my goal. And then one day, I walked into my office. Remember, I'm 28 years old. I'm working at Trinity United Methodist here in town. It was a great church, and I was their youth director. And I pushed the, answer, the message on the answering machine, and a woman had left a message, and she said, Matt, would you give me a call? And I was not sure what in the world she wanted, and I called her up. I didn't recognize her number, and she said to me, in my church office, Matt, I have a 10-year-old son that I think is your 10-year-old son. In, let me just, with a little bit of humor, in the church office. And I just wanted to pass out in that moment. 
I didn't know what else to do. I hung up the phone. I thought, I've got to go home and I've got to tell my wife, Tina. I didn't know how I was going to tell her that. Now, let me just say this. I don't have time to exaggerate this enough to you know, bring the proper meaning to the story. Throughout the rest of the story, I'm about to tell you, one of the heroes, there'll be a lot of this, is my wife, Tina, as I tell you the story. I just don't have time to keep telling you that, so just keep that in your head. And I walked into our little house with our two little kids. I'm like, Tina, I don't know how to tell you this, but I think I might have a 10-year-old son floating around out there. And Tina looked at me with amazing strength, and she said, well, let's find out for sure. So we did a DNA test, and we waited several months for, for the results of my, that DNA test. And here's our perspective on church in those days. We thought when you went through hard things and your heart was broken... You just kept it to yourself and prayed really hard. You don't tell anybody else your shameful, embarrassing, hard things. You just keep it to yourself and pray really hard. And we waited and we waited. And finally, Tina called me up and she said, hey, I think the results are back. And so I came home, walked through the door, sit, there, sit down at our dining room table. We opened this letter up from the agency that did the testing. And it said that Jeff is 99% my son, which I'm not really good at math, but that's pretty good odds, right? I mean, it's like, okay, I think this kid is my kid. Here's what happened um, when I was in high school. I was a, somewhat of an elite wrestler, um, and in the summers, I traveled across the country at tournament to tournament to tournament to compete, and I was in Chicago with one high school friend. It was just the two of us, competed all day. We went to a party at, that night, drank way too much, and had literally my first sexual encounter sinful sexual encounter and uh, went back home and 10 years later find out I have a son that's how that went a couple days after we opened that letter um, I packed my wife and my two little boys up in Ohio and we drove back to Charleston Illinois and I was terrified I pulled up in front of Jeff's house and I was white knuckling it the whole way and I got out of the car Tina and the kids stayed in the car and I walked to the door it was the craziest thing I was terrified and I knock on the door, and this little 10-year-old boy opens the door, and he goes, hey, Dad. I mean, literally, that's what he said. Hey, Dad. And he hugged me. It was, it was surreal. And we spent the next two days together. I begged him for forgiveness. And I, I struggled to say this in the right way. It is hard for me to explain to you. And I, I still feel it in this moment. The despair and brokenness I felt in those days. And it's, it's probably around this idea that my kids are like so important to me. I've told you for years that I love you all. I love my kids way more than I love you guys. Sorry, but I just do. And being a dad is such an honor and a privilege. And then I found out I've had a son out there that I didn't know about for 10 years and he didn't have his dad and I'm accountable and I'm responsible. It doesn't matter if I knew or didn't know, I'm accountable and I'm responsible and I was broken. Now here's the cool part of that story. Um, Jeff came and lived with us for a year and a half in eighth grade and ninth grade. He got to be part of our lives. Here's a quick picture of him when he was 11 years old. And I'm a young man. I'm 29. Oh, to be 29 again. But that's Jeff. And just imagine this. I had a, like a six-month-old and a two-year-old or something like that. And now we have a 10 or 11-year-old. Did I mention that Tina was a hero in this story as my wife? 
But we developed this relationship. I'll tell you the rest of this part someday. It hasn't always been easy, but we've developed this relationship. Last summer, um, Jeff, next picture. Jeff, this is him at 32 years old, 32, 33. I'll get it right. And my son, Jacob, who's 25. We all went camping up in the mountains and hiking in the mountains. These two took me up in the mountains, and I swear they tried to kill me. I'm telling you, I was so tired when they were done. But look at these young men. And that part of the story, it just, it just was on a trajectory. It's been such an honor and such a blessing. Jeff runs a nonprofit with people with physical challenges. They get to go up in the mountains, and, and he gets to bless them with that. It's such a cool thing that he does. We talked just the other day. I said, hey, dude, I'm telling your story, and it was just it was great. But let me take you all the way back to I'm 28 years old, and I just met my son who's 10 years old. I have an issue in my life because I'm a pastor. I'm a youth pastor. And I thought... The way I understood God's kingdom, that I just had to get out of ministry because a proper pastor that I wanted to be couldn't have that kind of baggage in his life. And did I mention how brokenhearted I was? And so I asked our senior pastor, hey, can I get up and can I share the story in front of the whole congregation? Because I was taught as a kid and growing up that when you confess your sins, you're healed and God gets in the middle of it. I want to confess what had happened in my life because I was responsible and I was accountable. And I was broken. And so Sunday came. And the pastor did a sermon. And I walked up. And Tina walked up. And we stood on the stage. Here's a cool thing. Dads, just put this in your heart somewhere. My dad got on a plane. And he flew from Florida overnight to sit on the front row just to be there. Dad, you got an opportunity to do that for your kids someday. Do it. And so anyway, sorry, this is going to be a long day. Um, I'm, I'm standing on the altar. It's not a stage. It's an altar, right? The holy place. And I'm telling the story that I just told you. And I am a sobbing mess. But I'm trying to get this story out. And as I'm telling the story that I just told you, trying to explain it well with a broken heart. In the back of this Methodist church, which is a great church, but super conservative, a lot of older people, a guy stood up. His name was Jack Freisinger. He's going to be with Jesus now, but Jack stood up. And Jack was a, a good, is a good man, was a good man, but Jack could be a little gruff and a little tough, and I knew that. And as I'm talking, Jack stands up and he starts walking towards the altar why I'm speaking and it's the craziest thing because I'm trying to tell the story I just told you and he's walking and I'm looking out of the side of my eye at him and thinking what is he doing and it dawned on me that he's going to walk up on this stage and he's going to punch me right in the face (laughs) now here's the sad part of it I was going to let him because that's what I thought I deserved I thought I deserved punishment And nothing else. So I'm talking and he's walking. I'm talking and he's walking. And I just about got wrapped up through the story. And all of a sudden he's on the stage right next to me. And he's probably in the mid-70s then, I guess. And I look over at him and he is sobbing. And he grabs Tina and I and we're sobbing and he's sobbing and we have this moment and it it literally felt like it was minutes long but it was probably 20 seconds long. And when we looked up, this entire church of older, really conservative, live your life the right way people had converged on the stage and we were enveloped 
and hugs and loves and tears and were behind you. Somebody handed me a hundred bucks. This is for gas money right on the side. I'm like, cash cow. I didn't know this was going to happen. This is great. You know, a bunch of men were like, hey, it could have been me. It could have been me. And I'm like, it's not you. It's me. But that's okay, too. And we were overwhelmingly loved by that group of church people that day. And I didn't even know what to do with that kind of grace and love and mercy. I just didn't know what to do with it. But I've said two things happened in my life that day. Two very important things. That day, that church saved my life. And I think it saved me as a father and as a husband and ultimately as a pastor. It literally, the love of Christ through God's people that day saved my life. And I'll never be able to express the gratitude that I have for that moment we were loved in such an amazing way. But the second thing happened that day, and that was simply this. In my heart, I believe that this church was conceived that day also. Because this is the thought I had as I reflected the rest of the days after that Sunday that week. I thought, why can't everyone be loved like that when they're broken? When people feel like they're an outsider, and I felt like an outsider. I felt like I was disqualified. I was a church person, but I felt like I was disqualified from it. Why can't people be loved when they feel that far from God? And what if, what if we created a church that just loved people in the most broken moments. And we went out of our way to try and say, you're welcome here. And when church people get frustrated with us because we're not doing it the way they think we should do it or some next author they read about or some book they read, we just say, no, we are going to love people the way God has called us to love people. And years later, here we are with all these amazing stories of what God has done. You see, Paul said this. He said that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. I have been taught that my entire life, but that day in that Methodist church, I understood it. It made sense to me. I saw what your sins not being counted against you look like. And what would it look like if we could keep being a place that people would find that their sins are really forgiven? And the only way I believe that can happen is through the local church. And you can't make it up. You can't fake your way through it. It is our expression of love. Now, we can't do that for every person. We can't have that moment for every person. I realize that. But what if we just gave people glimpses of that? Look what the Apostle Paul says next. And he says, and he has committed to us a message of reconciliation. Do you know how you grow? You help others be reconciled to God. Listen, you have a desire to read the scripture, read them all you can, you should do that. And pray and worship and lift your hands to God. You should do all of that. But the apostle Paul would say, you wanna be deep in Jesus, help people be reconciled to God. Listen, I went to seminary, I'm about four hour, credit hours short of sem my seminary degree, which is like a pastor degree. And I loved every minute of it. It was so helpful. But if you ask me what helped my faith grow more, that day at that church or all the hours I spent in a classroom learning theology, it was definitely that day where I was shown the love of God. Look what Paul says. He says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. Do you know that you're an ambassador for Jesus in the way that you can redeem people? Through his love and what he did on the cross? As though God were making his appeal through us, 
through you. And that's just not an individual you, that's a collective you. Because when we come together, we are the body of Christ. And this word appeal is the word you use in a court of law when you're pleading, when you're urging, when you're telling people you have a chance to be connected to God. In other words, we'd say it this way, that the love of Christ, it compels us to urge people to be reconciled to God. And some of you are so passionate about it. It's why you show up and you serve and you give and you commit to what we're doing because you know this is the thing that Christians do. And we cannot afford, this is a huge thing. As a church, in this day and age when we're all trying to recover from the pandemic, right? We cannot afford any sideways energy because any sideways energy that does not point people towards Christ and point us towards Christ and grow and reach and grow and we reach, it would derail what God has done in this church and wants to do in his church across the world. We cannot have any sideways energy. And that's why I'm so adamant that when people go, hey, let's do this and let's go this way, why don't we go? Now, we're on a mission for a reason. What we're trying to do as a church, we're trying to create and operate churches designed to reconcile people to God. Matt, Matt, what are you doing at your church? We're trying to reconcile people to God. We're trying to help people get food and take care of single moms and be there for kids. That's all true, but ultimately we want to reconcile people to God. That's why we've said for years, our vision, what we dream about is to create, next slide, a church for unchurched people to love and attend, that love and attend. In other words, you need to know this. We're a church. That means if you're a Christian, if you're a church person, this place is for you. But my personal dream is that someone that doesn't do church, doesn't know about church, doesn't know about God can sit right next to you. And both of you can go, you know what? I can show up here next week and I can grow and I can learn. I can take another step and maybe I can start to trust God. And here's what I am so convinced of in my life. And I think the Apostle Paul was convinced of was simply this, that people who were nothing like Jesus like Jesus. I just want to read this again because this is a really big deal, that people who are nothing like Jesus, because nobody's like Jesus, nobody's that good or that perfect or that powerful, people who are nothing like Jesus, they actually like to be around Jesus. That day in that church, a lot of years ago, when I was so broken, I was as far as from Jesus as I could be. I didn't look anything like him. I had this baggage. I was a failed father. I mean, I was just not like him at all. And I was convinced that day that Jesus liked me. More than that, that Jesus loved me. It was staggering. And what would it look like for you individually and us corporately as a church and outside these walls? to carry the message of reconciliation and just say no to, I'm gonna be selfish and this is gonna be about me and I'm not gonna engage. But we just said, listen, I'm gonna serve. You know, we're getting this engine going again after COVID, we need people to serve, we just do. We need people in kids world and guest services and student world. And if this is your church and you're not serving, you could, should think about serving. This was even part of the message, but I'm gonna say it anyway, you should think about serving. And if you're a follower of Jesus and this is your church, you should think about your generosity to the local church. You should think about inviting some people. And if all you have in your life is church friends, you should get some non-church friends. I mean, I play golf so I can be with non-church people. That's not true, I just like to play golf. But there are unchurched people, that was a joke. There are unchurched people I get to hang out with when I play golf. 
We should invite those people because we are on a mission. And I, I want this for you. And the people you invite, I want you to walk in here and go, man, the kids' environments are great. The music is great. The preaching's okay. But man, did those people love me right where I was. And they got, gave me hope in Jesus. And I want that for us. I want that for you. Now, before I'm done, I just have to say that maybe you wandered in here today, or maybe you wandered online, and you're like, that's me, Matt. I am as far from God as I could be. Or I've had some stuff in my life that I feel desperately alone. I'm not sure if God likes me. I'm not sure if God loves me. I just want you to know, forget all the mission vision stuff just for a second. I just want you to personally know that God could not love you anymore and he could not love you any less. And he is pulling for you. And the best that we can, we are pulling for you too. And his invitation is simply this, come on, come to me, run to me. Because I've been waiting on you your whole life. In fact, I've been running after you your whole life. And today, I hope you get a glimpse of God's love in your life. Because that's not just for today, it's for eternity. And it's worth trusting. And it's worth following. It's worth giving your life to. In just a second, we're going to sing a song that's all about that. But I want to pray for us, and I want to pray for you that we would never miss that. Personally and as a church. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I don't even know how to express my gratitude for that Sunday morning so many years ago when you changed my life through your church. I'm so grateful that. I'm so grateful that we get to be a part of this church that is constantly part of life change and loving people who need to be loved in their hardest moments. Help us not to lose our vision or our mission as we look to where you're calling us to go and to be and help us to engage with all of our hearts. But I also pray for the individual, the couple, the adult, the child in here that they just feel brokenhearted too today, that you would breathe life into them and that in you their soul would find a friend and they would find hope in who you are and we could run to you as our heavenly father in your deep, amazing love. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Thanks for your love. Amen.